that God says are qualities of true love. The Holy Spirit has used the Apostle Paul to list these qualities in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he addresses the issue, really, of what is love? What is love? And we ought to align our own definition and our own activities of love according to what the Word of God says. So if you ever are confronted with the question, what is love? You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you'll have a very beautiful picture of what love is. We've already covered the first seven, and boy, can I tell you, these are pretty challenging. These, these qualities of love are, are difficult. Uh, they're, they're difficult to engage. They're difficult to incorporate into our lives. And I've learned that true love requires hard work. It's an effort to love in a real way. Uh, and it takes us relying on God to be able to love the way that God loves. Now, you may not have heard about the guy who fell in love with an opera singer. The a guy was sitting in the third floor balcony of this auditorium and he fell in love with this woman while watching her sing, watching her through a set of binoculars. He was convinced that he could live happily ever after married to a voice like that. And so when uh, he noticed that she was considerably older than him, it didn't bother him any. Nor did he care that she walked around with a limp a little bit. He thought that her beautiful soprano voice would take them through whatever trials this life might bring. After a whirlwind romance and a hurry-up wedding, they were off to their honeymoon, and there they began to prepare for their first night together. As he watched, his chin dropped to his chest. She plucked out her glass eye and plopped it into a container on the nightstand. She pulled off her wig, ripped off her false eyelashes, yanked out her dentures, unstrapped her artificial leg. She smiled at him as she took off her glasses that hid her hearing aid. Stunned and horrified, he gasped, for goodness sake, woman, sing, sing, sing. <laughs> Some say that true love is blind. I believe true love is blind. But love can still be challenging. Love can still be difficult to incorporate into our lives. Now, the first seven characteristics of love are love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. And love is not self-seeking. Today, we're going to look at the next four. The next four traits that God says, say God says, that God says are qualities of true love. Number eight, love is not easily provoked. Can we just share in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and look at verse 4 through 8. The Bible says that love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is 
not provoked. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love, true love, never fails. Let us pray. Father, we rely on you and we submit to you and ask you to help us to love the way that you say we ought to love. Lord, as we look at all these traits and characteristics, we see you. We see the way you loved us. And we ask you to help us to learn to love the same way. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. True love is not provoked. As I read that, I said, I don't know what that means. So I went to another translation entitled The Message. And the Message translation helps me understand this phrase a little bit better. It says, love doesn't fly off the handle. I can get that. Amen? Love doesn't fly off the handle. There are some people in our lives, and you know who I'm talking about, some people have short fuses. Some people are thin-skinned. Some people are hot-headed. Some people are easily enraged. When love, however, is not easily provoked, it means that we're not easily angered. We're not easily angered by our spouses. We're not easily angered by our family, by our church friends, by our co-workers, or by our classmates. We're not easily angered. We don't fly off the handle. You know, I think that anger is its own worst enemy. Some people look at the Bible and they reject it as a bunch of do's and don'ts. But the Bible, in my opinion, is a common sense book. It's a common sense book that God gave us for our own good. He gave it to us for our own good. And anger is one emotion that the Bible addresses because anger can cause high blood pressure. Anger can cause sleeplessness. Anger can cause stomach problems. Anger can cause headaches. So God tells us to address this issue of anger to help us avoid those other problems. But as you know, there are no pleasing some people. Some people cannot be pleased. I read in Maranatha magazine, uh, who did a funny story on anger and criticism. The wife of this one hard-to-please, hard angry husband uh, was determined to try her best to satisfy her husband for just one day. And so she said, darling, what would you like for breakfast this morning? He growled, coffee and toast, grits and sausage, and I'll have two eggs, one of them scrambled and one of them fried. And so she soon had all the food on the table, and she waited for a word of praise. After a quick glance, he looked at his breakfast and he said, well, I'll be doggone if you didn't scramble the wrong egg. Some people just are never pleased. And their anger is their own worst enemy. Friend, if God wants you to control your anger, it's because he has your best interest at heart. 
If God wants you to control lust, it's because God has your best interest at heart. It's important that we realize that anger can be our own worst enemy. But I've also discovered as I was thinking about this, this emotion, that a short fuse or out of control anger may indicate other issues that need attention. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 tells us this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, say all, let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor. Does anybody know what clamor means? I didn't either. I had to look it up. Uh, clamor means all the screaming and hollering. Amen. Uh, let all clamor and let all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put it away. You see, friend, I think that if a Christian has a short fuse, if a Christian's a hothead, if a Christian has out-of-control anger issues, the real cause may be because he's grieving the Holy Spirit who dwells within him or her, and the only surefire way to cure the problem of out-of-control anger, the only way to have true anger management is a closer walk with thee. Amen? A closer walk with thee. If you're walking close to the Lord Jesus, you ain't going to be no hothead. If you're walking close to Jesus, you're not going to have a short fuse. So I believe that a closer walk with thee is the answer to avoiding this emotion. But anger is often a reflection of other issues that ought to be addressed. And that's why I think that the Bible encourages us to be in control of our anger. The Bible says, be angry. Did you know that? Let me finish. The Bible says, be angry and yet do not sin. In other words, don't sin by letting anger control you. Amen? And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Notice the teaching of that verse. Notice that the verse doesn't deny anger. The verse says that the Christian is not a super saint who never gets angry. It says you're going to be angry sometimes, okay? You're going to be angry. The Bible recognizes that we are going to get angry from time to time. But it encourages us to be in control of that anger. To uh, be in control, and that's why it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be in control of it. But you know, I heard about that couple who agreed to live by Ephesians 4.26. They agreed that they would never go to bed angry. But at one point, they testified that in their marriage, they hadn't slept in a week. <laughs> Amen? We're going to get angry. We're going to get angry with one another from time to time. But we must keep that anger under control. The anger of the one who has true love is not easily provoked. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't have a short fuse. It's not provoked. That's number eight. Number nine, love thinks no evil. I like the way that the New Living Translation says this. It says, love keeps no record when it has been wronged. That word 
thinks, that love thinks no evil. That word thinks uh, is an accounting word in the original language of the Bible. It's an accounting word, and it refers to the act of entering something into a ledger. Get the picture. The Bible is teaching us to avoid keeping score of wrongs. I read about one guy that, um, that epitomized this verse. He actually kept a running list of how he had been wronged so that when he had opportunity, he'd be able to bring that back up in someone's face. He kept, an kept a, a list, a ledger of how he had been done wrong. And then I read in his book, uh, Lee, The Last Years, where a guy, the author Charles Flood, reported that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited this lady in Kentucky. And she took him out to his, her front yard, and there was the, what was left of this grand old oak tree there in the front yard. And she was bitterly crying that all had been destroyed, that this tree had all but been destroyed by the Northern Army artillery fire. She looked to General Lee for an encouragement, uh, for, for something condemning the North and what they had done. But after a brief silence, General Lee said, cut it down. Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It's better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain and cause bitterness. Boy, Robert E. Lee was a pretty wise guy, wasn't he? Got to let, let go of that stuff. Let go of that stuff. Forgive the injustices rather than let them hang around and cause bitterness. And here's the reason why, friends. When we store up negative memories, when we store up negative memories, resentment begins to build in our hearts. And resentment, friend, is your worst enemy. Because resentment will corrode your heart. It will corrode your heart. And the Bible teaches us to pursue peace with all men seeking to live a clean and holy life. For those who don't will not see the Lord. Look after each other to see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And that, listen to this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes you trouble. A root of bitterness. You know, oftentimes when, when we help people, we wonder if they're going to use it wisely. Have you ever given somebody who was in need some money and then you saw them later drinking, smoking, or out partying? How'd that make you feel? Witnessing that kind of behavior can make you feel very reluctant to help anybody. It can make you very reluctant to help anybody, especially in the future. You've been burned once, you ain't going to get burned again. But friend, you can't let that incident create a root of bitterness in you. Create a root of bitterness in your soul that causes you to be hard-hearted and resent those who are in need. You do what God told you to do, and you let the chips fall where they may. You do what God told you to do. Now, I'm not denying that we ought to uh, make sure that, that there is a legitimate need, but when you give, give. Give it and forget it. Now, some people use those stored up negative memories 
as a weapon to be used in the future. I like old westerns. And in many old westerns, as you see poker players, and they got a little pistol stuck down to their sleeve. Amen? They're actually anticipating having to shoot somebody. They're actually anticipating having to use that gun to shoot somebody for cheating. I think a lot of people use old memories. A lot of people use unforgiveness much in the same way. They're just waiting for someone that they can remind about how they've been wronged. They use it like a pistol. So whenever we store up negative memories, you know, resentment will build in your heart. And resentment will corrode your heart. But whenever we store up negative memories, we're also disobeying the command to forgive. We are commanded to forgive. Jesus said, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Paul said to Christians at the church at Colossae, he said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You've been forgiven a lot, aren't you? Haven't you? If you've been forgiven of anything, raise your hand. If you've been forgiven of a lot, raise your hand. If you forgiven of a lot, lot, raise your hand. Uh-huh. We've all been forgiven of a lot, lot. We've all been forgiven of a lot. So, friend, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to ourselves to forgive others. You owe it to yourself to forgive other people who've harmed you. You owe it to yourself because unforgiveness doesn't hurt the other person. Unforgiveness only hurts you. That's right. So when we fail to forgive, the only one you're hurting is yourself. Don't disobey the commandment to forgive by storing up those old negative memories. I once heard a very touching story about the life of Leonardo da Vinci. The story occurred while da Vinci was painting a very famous painting entitled The Last Supper. It seems that da Vinci had had a very intense, bitter argument with another painter. And for weeks, da Vinci pondered, how can I get even with this guy? So he came up with a very devious plan. He decided he was going to paint the face of his enemy on the body of Judas Iscariot. In his painting, The Last Supper. That betrayer, Judas Iscariot. And that way, it'd be forever captured in time what that guy had done. But according to the story, Da Vinci did paint the face of his enemy onto Judas. And as that painting progressed, people would come in and look to see how the painting was going. And they would see his enemy painted there on the body of Judas as he continued his work on that great painting, he finally came to the face that he saved for the very end. The face of Jesus. But according to the story, da Vinci couldn't paint the face of Jesus. He was greatly troubled knowing that he had painted the face of his enemy onto the body of Judas Iscariot. He realized that his hatred and his bitterness was keeping him from being able to face, paint the face of Christ Jesus. So he went back to the image of Judas 
and he painted over it some indistinct face. Then he went back and was able to paint the face of Christ. Can I tell you that if you're harboring up those old negative memories, if you're harboring resentment towards someone who has harmed you, hurt you, broken your heart, you're not going to be effective to do what Jesus wants you to do. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to release that. You've got to be able to get rid of that resentment and those horrible feelings. Think about this. If God doesn't store up old negative memories toward you, neither should we towards others. That's right. See, God doesn't keep a list with your name at the top of the page with your check marks under the good and your check marks under the bad. There's no such list. In fact, the Word of God says in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25, the Bible says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins any longer. That's God speaking. And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, listen to this. But this man, referring to the Lord Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And down in verse 16, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. If God doesn't store up those memories against you, neither should you against someone else. If God doesn't store them up, neither should should we? Friend, if, can I tell you that if you're storing up memories of your sins or of someone else's sins, you should throw them at the trash can that you'll find at the base of Jesus' cross. Don't hold on to your sins or the sins of anyone else because Jesus died to take all those sins away. All of them. I think Peter had it right in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, For above all things, have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. True love will cover a multitude of sins. Friends, love doesn't fly off the handle, and love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not easily provoked, and it thinks no evil. But number 10 and 11, they come together as one, but they are two. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This verse are qualities 10 and 11. One of them is positive, the other one's negative, but they go together like Siamese twins. All right? Let's look first at the negative command. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Another translation says, Love is never glad when others go wrong. For some reason, there's a certain mean streak in human nature 
that takes pleasure when other people go wrong. I don't know why that is. Can I tell you, though, that is not the spirit of love. Taking joy or pleasure when someone else does wrong is not the spirit of love. But there is another side to this truth. Do not delight in exposing other people's failures. Think about it. If everybody lived by that verse, we'd have no need for the tabloids, amen? Got to thinking about that, and so I went to nationalenquirer.com. One of the headlines that appeared, other than, of course, Whitney Houston's drug problems, exposing someone else's failure for their own profit, for their own gain. Another one was Tebow's Dark Family Secrets. Now, you may not know that I am a Florida Gator fan, and Tebow is a, is a good friend of mine in the spirit. Amen? We, we tight. We're good buds. All right? Uh, he doesn't know it, but I know it. That's all that matters. Uh, in that article, uh, the National Enquirer said, God-fearing football star Tim Tebow has more than skeletons in his closet. He's got family. Wow. Seems when they couldn't find anything wrong with Tim himself, when they couldn't find anything against Tim himself, they went after his family. And they told about how his brother Robbie slapped a police horse on the hindquarter one time and ended up having to complete 15 hours of community service. I mean, that's pretty, I'm trying to get to Tim, right? Uh, another time they went after Tim by exposing charges of violence against his sister's in-laws. Trying to link it back to Tim Tebow. They speculate and sell magazines trying to expose something based on the misfortune and bad decisions of other people. How sad is that? Love does not delight in exposing other people's failures. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity or exposing the way that other people have let you down. But the 11th quality of love is the positive side of the 10th, and it says, love rejoices in the truth. Now, the New Living translates that verse is, real love rejoices when the truth wins out. Real love rejoices when the truth wins out. Now, I've got to share a complaint with you, okay? Can I whine a little bit? All right. I wish that the evening news would share more good news about the good things that are happening in our world. Amen? I mean, if you listen to the evening news like I used to, I don't anymore. If you listen to the evening news, uh, you'll come away depressed. You'll come away discouraged. You'll come away downtrodden. You will come away wanting to just go ahead and just cut your own throat. I mean, you'll come away saddened by what you hear. Because most of the stories focus on the things that are going bad in our society. The things that are going wrong. Now, I'm not saying that we ought not, uh, or that we should ignore the bad things that need attention, because I think we should. But, I'm just saying, why not make the good things that are going on in our world our focus? Why not just focus on the good things and inform us of the bad things. Look at this truth again. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. 
Now we find a great example in Jesus' earthly ministry of this verse and this truth. In John chapter 8, there was this incident where some legalistic religious leaders came and brought a woman to Jesus. They said that she'd been caught. Caught in the act of adultery and they wanted to stone her to death. Publicly. They wanted to expose her failures and stone her to death. Now Jesus, the Lord, did not condone what she had done, did not condone her behavior, nor did he condemn her. Instead, he tried to encourage her. He tried to help her. He encouraged her to go and go and sin no more. He offered her hope. He offered her encouragement. He offered her forgiveness. Love rejoices when the truth wins out. You see, friend, true love sees people's potential. True love sees people's potential. Are you able to look past people's mistakes and see what they're capable of? Are you able to see the good in them? Are you able to look past the junk and see the good stuff? Are you able to see what they're capable of? Can I tell you, real love does. And we've studied in, in uh, Sunday school this morning in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 19, where the Bible says that if a person says, I love God, but does not love his, or hate, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has seen? And this commandment, say commandment. It ain't my commandment. And this commandment we have from him, from Jesus, that he who loves God must, say must, he must love his brother also. True love will look past the mistakes and look to what someone is capable of. Look to their potential. Look and focus on the good instead of on the mistakes and on the bad. So we've covered 11 traits, 11 characteristics that God says, say God says, that God says are qualities of love. And it's become obvious to me that love is active. That love is not some passive activity. Love is something that should be exercised. And it reminds me of our vision statement. You'll find it on the inside of your bulletin. The vision statement of Bethel Baptist Church is sharing the love of Jesus across the way and around the world. We believe that's what we're called to do. To make the love of God within us active. To exercise the love of God within us. We're to be actively sharing the love of Christ with the people around us. Now you have people in your own little sphere of influence at work, at college, in school, at home, in your community, your neighbors, your, your family, whatever the case might be. And you have an opportunity to display the love of God. And there's a commandment that says, this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. 
That's not talking about just your blood brother, amen? That's talking about people in general. We must love others also. So, friend, well, what do we got to do? We got to give God a submissive heart, first of all. Then God will take that submissive heart that you give him. He'll transform that submissive heart. And he'll lead you into a God event. Did you hear that? He will lead you into a God event. He'll take your small, kind deeds, your small, kind words, and he'll transform them into a display of his love. He'll transform them into a God event. This past week, I was blessed. I can't believe she's not here today. Of all things, she's here every Sunday. But I was blessed by Katie Lanier's Facebook post. Katie wrote on Facebook about some visits that our Wednesday night CIA teenagers went on. And here's what she wrote. Katie is 16, I think. Do you know? 16? Katie's 16. And uh, they went out visiting. What were, how many people were on that Three? Total of four? Here's what she wrote. Had a great time at church tonight. Went out and visited some people. Smiley face. Had prayer and shared Bible verses with them. It's so sweet knowing that you made their day by coming by and visiting them. That 16-year-old member of our church Displaying the love of God. Actively sharing the love of Jesus across the way and around the world. That simple act spoke volumes. It spoke volumes that God wants us to be actively loving other people. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Friends, if there's one word I want you to carry home with you, and I never want you to forget this, if you promise that you'll never forget what I'm about to say, raise your hand, right hand, and say, I promise. Well, there's two of you. Raise it up. I can't hear you. I Say one, one, two, three. Do you promise? All right. Spencer promises. Here's your word. Never stop loving. Never stop loving. Jesus didn't. Never stop loving. Let's pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your love for us. And Lord, in a, in a crowd this size, we would have to assume that there is someone who has never received the love that you offer through Jesus Christ. So Father, our humble prayer is today that if there is such a person, that they would take a step of faith. They would step out of their pew, just step forward and allow the Word of God to, to show them 
love and your plan for their salvation. Lord, it's our desire as it's yours that none perish, but that all come to repentance and all be saved. Father, if there's a person here that needs to get right, perhaps they just need a word of prayer. They've been going their own way long enough. They just want to turn around. Go back your way. As that movie Courageous said, if, if they just want to grasp back hold of the steering wheel and get back on track, get out of the ditch, get back on the narrow path that leads to salvation. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you'd speak to them this morning. Lord, that your love would just pour into their hearts. Lord, they would make a decision that would honor you. Your word says that we love you because you first loved us. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, whatever decision needs to be made this morning, Lord, we wouldn't let ourselves walk out of here without making a decision for you that honors you and blesses you and in turn blesses us. Lord, we just love you so and we praise you. We exalt you in Jesus' name. What a 